This uh, evening marks the end of uh, one another series that we've been through over the last three months. Uh, certainly, I can attest uh, personally and with my family, we have seen the Lord use that series in our family. We have seen people come and apply those one another commands for us. And I hope that I'm speaking uh, on most of yours behalf. It's been a, an encouraging, what is it, 12 weeks or so. And now we're coming to draw a, a close to that and looking forward with eager expectation of what we'll be going through uh, next year through our evening services. As our last one other commandment, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, uh, we're going to be honing in on verse 18 and 19, but let's read from verse 15 just for the full context. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the words that proceed from this pulpit not land void, but use them to save and encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the things that I've come to appreciate in my personal study of the Bible is the instructions that the authors of the Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit give in both positive tense and negative tense. Any length of time spent with the script, in the scriptures will be met with both the putting-ons and the putting-offs that we call to exercise, both what we are not to do and what we are to do. The text in front of us this evening is no different. Notice the examples of this. For example, in verse 4, just go up in Ephesians chapter 5. Go to verse 4. It says, Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. Okay, now that is the negative tense. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. That's the positive tense. Another example is in verse 11. Take no part in the, in the unfruitful works of darkness. That's what we are to put off. But instead, expose them, what we are to put on. And again in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish. That's the negative tense, what we are to put off. But understand what the will of the Lord is positive tense. I could go on like this for quite some time giving ex examples of this in scripture. Like a, a masterful teacher, the Holy Spirit, as it were, is careful not only to tell us what not to do, but so as to reinforce the commandment goes on to tell us what we are to do instead. Now our primary text this evening, being verses 18 and 19 of Ephesians 5, is no different. After being told not to be drunk with wine, the negative tense, we are told rather to be filled with the Spirit. 
And then Paul further expands on what this looks like in the context of the church. And one such way being to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. For our purposes here tonight, I've divided our sermon into three headings. What we are to put off, firstly. Secondly, what we are to put on. And thirdly, how this applies to one another. First then, what we are to put off. Notice in verse 18 of our text, Paul calls the church to not be drunk with wine. For this is debauchery. A good old search of the Merriam-Webster definition of debauchery leads to the following result. Extreme indulgence in bodily pleasures, and especially sexual pleasures, behavior involving sex, drugs, alcohol, that is often considered as immoral. If you were to read this command in conjunction with the exhortation that Paul gives them in the same chapter in verses 3 and 4, which is behavior which, is, which often accompanies drunkenness and debauchery, you quickly come to the realization that this was important to Paul. You might wonder then, just on the, the definition that I've read from Merriam-Webster, just the graphic definition that I've just read, why such a commandment would be necessary for Christians in the context of a church. Why do Christians need to be told something as basic as, don't be drunk? Isn't it obvious? Isn't it a given that we're not to get drunk on wine? Shouldn't Christians have graduated to the more respectable sense of pride and self-righteousness? Well, it seems like this practice was common in the culture that surrounded the Ephesian church, much like our culture here today. We surrounded by all manner of debauchery here in Johannesburg. And such practices can easily seep into the church, similar to the Ephesian church. And we must never think that we're too holy to fall into the prevailing sins of our culture, similar to the Ephesian church. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church. He says, if anyone stands, let him take heed, lest he falls. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. True, there is a sense in which we are to grow from drinking spiritual milk to eating spiritual meat. There is a sense in which we are to grow into mature manhood. All this is right, but we are to remember that Christians, young and old, should never presume that they are too great to presume to commit a particular sin. Now, most of the professions, accredited professions in South Africa, um, have to go through what is called uh, a continuous development program. If you're professionals, if, if you're an actuary, which is what Andrew wants to do, if you're a, a social worker, which is what my wife does, you need to go through a continuous development program. And the idea there is that you are going to be reminded of the basics that you were taught in your profession. You write tests and you know, oral exams or whatever, and you, and you submit to say, here, I remember what I've done, what I've studied all these years. And this is the same idea with us as Christians. We are reminded of the basic instructions, basic commands that we should never think that we're too um, mature to, 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 to commit. Something as basic as drunkenness. You need to be reminded of this. Now in the context of our text here, point, Paul is driving this home, that a person who is drunk and is under the influence has no control over himself. He's capable of acting involuntarily and out of character because he's under the influence of alcohol. 
A drunk person cannot even put together a basic sentence without slurring or drooling. Now, how much more will such a person be able to discern what the will of the Lord is? Which we call to in verse 17. Or walk wisely, as we call to in verse 15. All the other exhortations that Paul calls the Ephesian church in chapter 5 are not possible if such a person is under the influence of alcohol. So here's the question here for you. Basic question. How is your relationship with alcohol? Do you drink it to enjoy it as a gift from God? Or do you abuse it and so clouds your judgment of discerning what the will of the Lord is? Let's look at our second point now. What we are to put on. Instead of being filled with wine to the point of drunkenness, Paul exhorts the church to be filled with the Spirit. Another way of reading this is to say that they are to be full of the Spirit. And they are not to have a little bit of the Spirit, but be full of it. If there is something that the Ephesian church is to be filled with, it's not wine, but rather it is the Holy Spirit. In case you're wondering what does being filled with the Spirit means, let me put your concerns at ease. It is not speaking in tongues. It is not healing the sick or or prophesying. To understand what this means, be filled with the Spirit, we're going to let Scripture interpret Scripture this evening. Please turn with me to Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16. It says this, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart. Does this sound familiar? Now, if we were to put these texts next to each other, if we were to put Colossians 3.16 on the one side, and if to put Ephesians 5.19 on the other side, I don't think you need a theology degree to see that Paul, the common author in both of these um, letters, is giving the same message to these two churches and all of those who are going to be reading these epistles. The reason that I took Colossians 3.16 is not to show you how similar these texts are, but I want us to use what is clear in one text, Ephesians, Colossians 3.16, to translate for us what is possibly unclear in Ephesians 5.19. In Ephesians 5.19, the church is called to be filled with the Spirit, and Paul does this before he gives them a one another application. And in Colossians 3.16, the church is called to be to let the word of Christ dwell richly in them before one another commandment is brought in, which is similar to Ephesians 5.19. This leads me to believe, and I hope you agree with me, that another way of saying be filled with the Spirit is to say that we are to have the word of Christ dwell richly in us. The Ephesian church, therefore, after being told to put off drunkenness, is told to put on Christ's word and not in small measure, but for it to dwell in them richly. They are to drench themselves in the promises and warnings found in God's word. They are to know the character and all that he is to them, which he has revealed to them in his word. It is in this they are to have true communion with the Spirit and all the benefits that come, which are listed in Ephesians chapter 5. 
It is only when they are filled with the Spirit that they are able then to make the best use of their time. Verse 15. It is when they are filled with the Spirit that they are able to understand what the will of God is. Verse 17. And walk as children of light. In verse 8. Again, the point is that we are to be under the influence of the word of God instead of alcohol. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It is God's word that should influence every direction and every step we take. It should influence our decisions and our responses to issues in our culture. Let me ask you this. What informs your view on homosexuality or or sex outside of marriage? Is it based on what Oprah says or or Dr. Phil or whatever's trending on TikTok? Does that inform your view on these massive topics? No. It is to be scripture. We should be under the rule and influence of scripture, which is spirit work. Having Christ's word dwelling in them and hence being filled with the Spirit isn't something that only the Ephesian and Coalition Church should do, but also applies to us here at Heritage Baptist. Can it be said of us that we are filled with the Spirit just by judging, um, just on the basis of how we walk? Your answer could be yes, of course, all Christians are filled with the Spirit. Just go to read 1 Corinthians 3.16 for that. It says that, God's temple and his spirit dwells in us. And this is true. But some of us live as though God's temple is not in us. Another way of asking this question that can be said of us is that, can it be said that Christ's word dwells richly in us? Would that prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, say of us, as he said of John Bunyan, he said, prick John Bunyan anywhere, and his blood is bleblin, bleblin. Are you spending time in your personal devotions, diligently searching the scriptures? Is God's word primary in your your dealings? Can it be said of us here corporately at Heritage? Paul then, after having told the church what to put off, being drunkenness, and what to put on, being to be spirit-filled, then moves on to show what this looks like corporately or what this looks like in the context of the church community. He says in verse 19, just go there, it says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What on earth does this mean? Does this mean that we're to be quoting, um, you know, psalms to one another? Or quoting lyrics of our favorite hymn to one another? Is that what it means? I was speaking to someone last week and I told him that I'll be preaching on Ephesians 5.19 addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He said, hmm, interesting. What does that mean? And I said, I don't know. Needless to say, he's not here tonight. Again, we're going to let scripture interpret scripture here for us this evening. Our parallel text, just go there again, Colossians 3.16. It says this. It says, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, there's just a few observations I'd like to point out at this point. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs has the same meaning as admonishing and teaching one another in all wisdom 
through singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Secondly, that by implication, it's in our singing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that we teach and admonish one another. It is in the rich truths and the lyrics of hymns and spiritual songs sung by fellow Christians during our Lord's Day service or any gathering that we find encouragement. In C.S. Lewis's immortal, The Magician's Nephew, a book of the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan sings Narnia into existence. Here's an extract from that, from that book. I commend it to you. It says this. It says, in the darkness, something was happening at last. A voice began to sing. It was very far away. And Diggory, who's one of the characters in that book, found it hard to decide what direction it came from. Sometimes it seemed to come from all directions at once. Sometimes he almost thought it was coming out of the earth beneath them. Its lower notes were deeper, were deep enough to be the voice of the earth itself. There were no words. There was hardly even a tune, but it was beyond comparison the most beautiful noise he had ever heard. It was so beautiful he could barely bear it. Then two wonders happened at the same time. One was that the voice was suddenly joined by other voices, more voices than you could possibly count. They were in harmony with it, but far higher up the scale, cold, tingling, silvery voices. The second wonder was that the blackness overhead all at once was blazing with stars. They didn't come out gently one by one on a summer evening. One moment there had been nothing but darkness, the next moment thousands of points of light leaped out. If you had seen and heard it, as Digri said, you would have felt quite certain that it was the first voice, the deep voice, which made it appear as he sung. C.S. Lewis was onto something here. Just as Aslan had brought us something that wasn't there through his singing, so our singing together, as it were, creates something in us. It does something to us. What was dead in us and needed encouragement is brought to life when we come together in voice and sing together. When we sing together, we receive admonishment and encouragement. When we sing meekness and majesty, we're reminded of the union and, and perfect harmony of Christ. Perfect harmony in Christ of both deity and, main, and manhood. We're reminded of grace in Christ in giving us the splendor and leaving the, the splendor and ecstasy of heaven to come and dwell among men. When we sing what a friend we have in Jesus, we're reminded that we have a friend in Jesus who sticks closer than a brother. In this hymn, we're reminded of the gift of prayer, that when we're weak and heavy laden, when our friends despise us, we're able to come to Jesus and take it to him in prayer. Can you see the, the rich teaching and doctrine that we get in our singing? And it's more than just me singing it in my shower. I mean, there's, there's value in that. But it's, it sounds even better when I can 
hear Keegan sing those voices, sing those songs. And Shengi was saying that, and Sai singing that, and just standing here and seeing that, that can do something in me. Now, there's just a few points of application that I want to make. Firstly, we are to watch how we sing. We are to watch how we sing. Now, I've had the privilege for years to lead services here at Heritage. And Banan, one of the best and leading privileges of leading the service is standing here and watching everyone sing their hearts out to God. It's watching folks that I know going through hardships, yet standing and singing their hearts out to the Lord in great joy. I've seen brothers and sisters in deep pain and turmoil that I could not even begin to fathom, sing, and I cannot describe the encouragement that I derive from that. I've seen men and women who have recently come to faith, men and women who I know their past and their struggles and difficulty in coming to the faith, standing here and singing a wonderful noise to God. So my exhortation to you is this, is that you are to watch how you sing because someone is listening to you. Someone is watching you and derives encouragement from your singing. Whether you have a squeaky voice or a voice that belongs to the Johannesburg Philharmonic Orchestra, use it to glorify God. It's the only voice you have. We had a Hindu couple come and join our Christmas carol service last week. And I sat next to them uh, at the back of the, the hall. And, one of the, and the first thing they said to me after the service is, wow, do you guys always sing on a Sunday? <laughs> Something as basic as that. What, do you, do you sing news? Do you always sing like this on a Sunday? Your singing here last week spoke to that Hindu couple. It taught them something. So let me ask you this. Do you sing when we gather? Do you contribute to a mutual encouragement through your singing? Secondly, we are to watch what we sing. We are to watch what we sing. Given that we know the gift of singing and admonishing and teaching, we are to sing words that achieve this. You will notice that Paul provides freedom in giving a range of songs that we're to sing. He says what? He says addressing one another in psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. There is freedom in what we sing for as long as it falls within these categories. Meaning that in the context of our church, secular music is to be excluded. Music which is unrelated to God. So, so there's a few things in relation to, what, to watching how, what we sing. It means that first we are to be creative in our choice of music, as long as it falls within these guidelines. We are to have a mix of jovial songs. We are to have a, a mix of mellow songs that remind us of our sins. Secondly, we are to be creative in our choice of instruments, which can aid our singing. The Psalms are teamed with exhortations to use all sorts of instruments, and we should take these exhortations to heart. Let's teach our children to take up instruments and teach them in faith that one day they will be up here and encouraging us through the various gifts and talents in playing instruments. Thirdly, we are to embrace our diversity in our singing. No one culture can claim to have the best form of music. 
And of course, I'm not talking about sinful practices and singing in certain cultures. Every culture has something to contribute because God has saved people from different tribes. So I'm encouraged that we have Zulu songs, Kosa songs, Sona songs, but we need to be adding more and more of that. We should be encouraging hands being raised. And, and you know, whenever we sing that one song, I'm still the only person at church who claps. Hopefully we'll be clapping together one day. And we can't be those people when you say, someone moves their toe, say, hey, you moved your toe. You need to stand still when you sing. We need to be singing and, toe and tapping our toes and joyously singing to God, not be toe-tapping police. The third point then is we are to watch when we sing. We are to watch when we sing. Notice that Paul says that the Ephesian church had to address one another in songs. There isn't one another unless we're gathering. We can't sing to one another if we're not together. We were momentarily disturbed by COVID-19 just two years ago. And whenever we streamed our services, when we were at, our, at our, all our homes, you know, the AV team used to play the songs. And some of you were, were blessed enough, you know, you had the, the, the gift of, you know, being with maybe a friend or, or family, and you, and you got to sing together. And the majority of you were alone, and you sang those hymns alone in your dorm or in your room. You'd agree with me that something was missing there. Something was wrong. Something was, was, it just wasn't the same. Paul here encourages, or his assumption here is that these Christians will be together, probably in the context of the Lord's Day or any other gathering. The exhortation there was to prioritize the gathering of the saints, make use of the various opportunities that we have available to meet, be it Sunday services, growth groups, or any other gathering in our church calendar. We are not called to be Lone Ranger Christians, but gathering Christians. As I prepare now to conclude, I want to point to, I want to point that in our text, Paul continues to say in verse 19 of Ephesians 5, that we are to make melody to God in our hearts, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. While admonishment, admonishment and teaching comes with the hearing of spiritual songs, teaching one another is not the only purpose in singing. Our singing expresses gratitude and praise to God and to Christ, as Mike briefly mentioned this morning. It expresses our thankfulness to Christ who is infinitely worthy of our praise. Do you see why we are to sing heartily? Not only are we teaching and admonishing one another, but we are honoring our Most High God. And that our singing rises as a fragrant offering to Him. And here's one scandalous thing that I've come across in my preparations. Did you know that when you sing, you are behaving like God? When we sing, we behave like God. Do you know that God sings? Turn with me, please, to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. Whoever finds it last is a rotten potato. Zephaniah 3, it's a, 
few pages. I'm struggling myself to find it. Page two, 791. Whatever that's where. Listen to this, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness and will quiet you by his love. Listen to this. He will exult over you with loud singing. As you saw, I didn't make that up. God the eternal, most high, holy God, not only condescends to deal with us, which is amazing in its own, but goes on further to rejoice over us, not with soft singing, but with loud singing. And not only will he sing over us, as the text says, but he has already done something infinitely better than singing over us. He has given us his best, Christ Jesus our Lord who died on a cruel cross for our sins and has made us free then to sing for him in thanksgiving and gratitude. Does this amaze you? Is this astonishing enough to you? The God who spoke creation into existence goes on further to sing over us, but has done infinitely better than that and has given us his one and only begotten son. In closing, then, I'd like to say a few words to the unbeliever in our midst if you're here. If you haven't confessed your sins and submitted to Christ, what I've just said in the last 30 minutes does not apply to you. It has no meaning to you. You cannot sing in the way Paul describes in Ephesians 5.19. Neither can you benefit from it. Unless you bow the knee and accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You see, friend, this is not just about singing. This is about eternity. Well, won't you just think for a second about your eternity? Wouldn't you want to accept the free gift and invitation to spend eternity with your maker on good terms? Having your past, present, and future sins forgiven. All you need to do is this is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, and then come and join us in singing together. There's no gimmicks, no gimmicks required, no fancy tricks. Just simple repentance and accepting the Lord is your Savior. If you are a Christian, remember, Christian brother and sister sitting here, that your brother or sister sitting next to you needs you to sing. He needs to derive that encouragement, that admonishment in hearing your voice. And not only this, sing as to one who is infinitely worthy of our praises. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful of this one another series that we've been through. Thank you that your word is filled with encouragement we're not left as orphans, but you've given us your word to help us in our dealings with one another. Oh, Lord, bring them to bear in our hearts. We pray that you bless our singing here at Heritage, and we've seen it over the last 10 years, how we've evolved it, how you've raised musicians gifted in singing. 
how you brought men and women who are able to sing, even us and some who might not necessarily have the, the best of voices, just seeing us gather together, make a joyful noise to you, a fragrant offering, and encouragement that that derives, that brings to us. Oh, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our singing. And we ask that you continue to aid us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to apply what we've just read.